Well, can I welcome you this morning, especially if you are a visitor uh, this morning, if it's your first time here, if you're here, someone who's uh, just started to worship with us, you're, you're very welcome. If you've worshipped here for years, you're equally welcome. In fact, you're all welcome. Uh, if you have, uh, but if you are just joining us, if you're new here, we are in the process of working through the book of Acts, uh, a great book that talks really about church as it should be. It's our template, it's our model of how we should do church. We'll be talking a lot about models and templates this morning. Uh, but to start with, can you turn with me please to Acts uh, chapter 6. We are actually in Acts chapter 7. So it's a very long chapter, so I'm not going to read uh, Acts chapter 7, but if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, if you have your iPad, if you have whatever device you receive God's words on, uh, if you could have that uh, logged in or logged on or turned to Acts chapter 7, that would be great. But I'm going to read a couple of verses that really set the scene, just starting in Acts chapter 6, uh, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. It says this, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You know, there's a sermon there in itself. We're not doing Acts 6. But you know, it's a fact that whenever the power of God is displayed, whenever the word of God is preached, there is opposition. And that opposition cannot stand against the word and the power of God. Uh, you can take that one home and bank it. There's Acts uh, chapter 6, the second half, sermon in two seconds, just for your, your reference. But they could not stand uh, against him. Um, and then going on in, in, verse, uh, in verse 11... Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceased to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, I'm going to pause there, and we're going to pray. Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your presence this morning. Just pray that you would touch us with your living word. Open our hearts to hear from you. Amen. Amen. And the high priest said, are these things so? It's a simple question. It's a question that response requires a yes-no answer. Stephen, did you say these things or did you not say these things? And the answer should take one verse. It takes 50 plus verses because what Stephen does is he replies with all that we read in Acts 7. 
And what he does is he basically starts at the beginning of the Old Testament, or he starts with Abraham, and he frankly doesn't stop until he's kind of reached the end. He's talking about uh, Abraham. He's talking about Isaac. He's talking about Jacob. He's talking about Joseph. By verse 20, he's talking about Moses and Aaron. He gives them a good run for 20 or so verses. By verse 45, Joshua gets a little mention. By verse 45 and 50, David and Solomon get a quick few words. He rounds it off in verse 50 by talking about the prophets. It's the Old Testament in one chapter. And I can just see that the authorities who've asked this question, are these things true? Their jaws just drop because Stephen, without uh, what's the game show from many years ago, without hesitation, repetition, or deviation, talks about the Old New Testament from beginning to end. He doesn't stop. They get the Old Testament, both barrels, point black range, kaboom. And you think, wow. And you think, he just doesn't stop. And, and we could say that this is, this is Stephen the consummate evangelist. It doesn't matter what the question is, the answer is Jesus. You go shopping, how much is that bag of potatoes? I'll tell you about Jesus. You go down the garage to fix your car that's broken down, how much is it going to be to replace the oil? I'll tell you about Jesus. And that's Stephen, and he just gives it to them. And you see, it gives us a great opportunity to say, well, if Stephen can talk about the Old Testament in this way, why can't we? Why can't we? Because I want to suggest, before I get into the heart of what is in Acts 7, I want to suggest two, or make two observations. Firstly, is that the people that we read of in the New Testament that preach and teach, and that's Peter and Stephen and Paul and Jesus himself, they're not ashamed of the Old Testament. You know, the truth is, when we think about it, if we're very honest, we're sometimes a little bit ashamed or cautious or afraid of the Old Testament. What's it all about? There's some kind of crazy stories in there. There's a, there's a kind of a, a God who seems a little bit vengeful, who seems to just want to strike people down for no good reason. There's, there's kind of events and cultures and stories that we, we don't kind of, can't really get our head around. There's bits that we like. We like Noah's Ark. That's a good story. We like, we like the walls of Jericho. We, that, that's fun. But ask about the depths of Deuteronomy and Numbers and, and all those kings and prophets that you can't even pronounce, let alone understand. The question is, do you know what? I'm not really sure I can do this. I'm glad we've got the New Testament and Jesus. Praise God that we've got the Old Testament that says history. But thank God for gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Let's kind of stick with the New Testament. We kind of get that. And see, the truth is, the Old that the New Testament teachers are not afraid to talk about the Old Testament, to tell the story. You see, my second observation is this. Whenever they talk about the Old Testament, they don't talk about it as so many disjointed books, so many different stories that somehow we've got to have a, a, a degree in theology to join the dots from A to Z and somehow make some sense of it or no. Whenever they speak of the Old Testament, they talk of it as narrative, as story. I love this, uh, this passage in, in Luke, towards the end of Luke, Luke 24. Uh, it's just after uh, the resurrection. Two of the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. Uh, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes and walks with him. 
and, and that miraculously his, his identity is hidden from them by the Spirit. And they, they express their confusion over the events of the crucifixion. Uh, and he says, he says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, if you're not here this morning, if you're listening to me on a recording, hello. Isn't it wonderful that you can actually do that? You can hear this sermon even if you're not here. There were no hidden microphones behind the bushes on the road to Emmaus. Jesus didn't have one of these fancy contraptions around his neck to capture forever the story of all the scriptures and Moses and the prophets. I wanted to be there for that sermon. You don't want to hear me. You, you want to hear that one, don't you? Maybe we'll hear that when we get to heaven. Jesus, beginning with the Old Testament, working his way through, telling the story of who he is. So, if we're going to understand the Old Testament, if we're going to take Acts chapter 7, which is the Old Testament in a nutshell, and understand it, we've got to ask the question, what's the story? What's the story? What's the narrative? How do we join the dots from Genesis to Joshua to Deuteronomy to kings and prophets? How do we join the dots and make a story? And that's what we're going to do this morning. You see, God is on a mission. God is on a mission to have a relationship with you. I'm sure that many people in this room know that this morning. If you don't know that, God loves you. God wants to have a relationship with you. God is a relational God. If we go right back to the beginning of Genesis... There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity in perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect relationship. And God says, this thing is too good to keep to ourselves. I want to create a universe. I want to create people. I want to create a race, a nation, a universe, a cosmos that I can relate to. And so God called the universe into being. He called Adam and Eve into being and said, I want to, I want to have a relationship with you. And many of you know how that story goes, it didn't go too well because it only takes us to get to a chapter two of Genesis and Adam and Eve have decided to go their own way. They've rebelled against God. They've sinned. It's what the Bible calls sin. It's anything that is contrary to the will of God. And for that, they're ejected uh, from Eden. And when you read that story at first, you might think, wow, doesn't God seem a little bit overbearing here? They only took an apple you know, what, where's the big deal there? Uh, and we kind of, because we are fouled and flawed and fallen men and women, we kind of take sin for granted. We often take doing the wrong thing for granted. If we go down for a cup of coffee a bit later on, and uh, I uh, were to, to barge in front of you in the coffee queue, you might think, hey, that guy wasn't very good. Uh, and if I know you, I, I might apologise. If I don't know you, I might apologise. But I might not. I might say, hey, I want my coffee. And you might think, well, okay, no big deal. That's a small thing. We'll move on. But you see, suppose the Queen had come and joined us this morning. And, and I'm sure she wouldn't join the tea. It, it, it would be tea, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be coffee. Um, she, if she, and she would get bought. To, we'd invited to the nice connector room, wouldn't we? But, but go with me for a moment. She, she's joined the tea queue. If I were to barge in front of her that would actually be a whole lot more serious. It's the same thing. 
But you see, sin in many ways, the seriousness of sin relates to the person who sinned against. If you have to barge in front of the queen, that wouldn't be too good. If the queen were to command me to bring her a cup of tea, I think a refusal to do what the monarch has commanded is called treason. I think that carries some serious consequences. So if I were to not do what the creator of the universe has commanded me to do, or, or, or do what he has commanded me not to do, that's actually quite serious. And so there is this broken relationship between God and his creation. You see, the good news is God doesn't give up on us. He says, I still want to have a relationship with you. And I need to tell you three things. One, I've said it already, sin is serious. Two, you can't get back to me in your own strength. And three, the only way back to me is through my son, Jesus Christ. That's not my three points, by the way. Again, you get those for free. But those are just three things about sin. And God says, that's simple to me, but it's going to take you guys a little while to get this. So we're going to go on a journey together. We're going to have an experiment together. And I'm going to show you this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a number of models. I'm going to give you a number of templates. I'm going to give you a number of principles of the way that I want to relate to you. And I want you to try it. I want you to try it in your own strength, in your own ability. And some of the characters that embark on this journey are going to be godly men and women. And they're going to get so far, they're going to get so close, but because they're still sinful, it's not quite going to get there. And God knows that. God's understanding that this isn't going to take God by surprise, but God says, hey, it's going to take you guys a few years or decades or centuries or millennia to get this. Because that's the Old Testament, we're going to go on this journey. So the first thing that God says is, I want to relate to you as a father. I want to relate to you as a father. You see, Stephen in his story, he starts off by talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know, we've got a biblical name for those guys. They're called the patriarchs. They're kind of father figures. And God says, this is such an important way of how I want to relate to you. I want to relate to you as a father. I want you to be my children. And and the whole way in which we relate is a family. Do you know that Abraham, when God called him, he didn't call Abraham to be a great leader. He didn't call Abraham to be a great statesman. He didn't call Abraham to be a great media star. He called him to be a father. He called him to be a father of many nations. And God says, that's the model that I want you to have to hold on to to start with. I want you to see the way that you relate to me, the way that you relate to each other, is the way that a father relates to his children. And when we move on and we get to the Psalms, it's actually almost written into the law of the nation. It's a law that fathers teach your children the truth. We will not hide them. That's truth. That's not kids playing hide-and-seek. The things that are being hidden there are the truths of God. We're not going to hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord. And he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Imagine our government passes many laws. Uh, I'm sure they're very sound and good and proper laws for our benefit and our safety. 
But imagine if a law like that were passed in this land. Fathers, by the force of law, teach your children the truths about God. And God says, that's the model that I want you to have. That's the way I want to relate to you. And he says, well, try that. Well, try that for a couple of generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you have a punt at that. You try father teaching your son. How does that work out? How does that work out when we do it? I mean, Abraham was a godly man. Isaac was a godly man. How does it work through the generations? Jacob, he's frankly a bit of a rogue. He's the Del Boy of the Old Testament. He's always looking for a scheme, an angle, a story, a plot. He's always, uh, yeah, he's almost got, he's not quite his three-wheeler yellow van, but, but you can almost see Joshua. He's the, he's the one who's just plotting and scheming. And Joseph, Joseph so in, in, endeared himself to his brothers that they threw him down a well and sold him into slavery. It's kind of not talking of harmonious family relationships. It's not quite talking of it working where a father teaches his children and the word of God passes down from generation to generation. And God says, yeah, there's no surprise to me. There's no surprise to me. But I wanted you to see this. I wanted you to see that. It took us a couple of generations, but I wanted you to get that message. Me being a father to you is a good model. We're not going to lose that. We're going to tuck it in our pocket because there's something missing from that that we're going to pop in in a moment. But let's try something else. Let's try another model. We've tried patriarchs. Let's try priests. Yeah, I'm still your father. I'm still your father, says God. And Stephen, if we're in Acts 7, by the way, he's, he's made his way into talking about Moses and Aaron. This is my link into Acts 7. We've got all these characters here. We've done Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've we now got Moses and Aaron. And God says, try this. Try relating to me as a father, but know this as well. I'm the creator of the universe. I'm the one that puts stars and galaxies in the heavens. Yes, you can just come to me and sit on my knee because I'm your father, but hey, let's just recognize there's a bit of awe here. There's a bit of authority. There needs to be a bit of reverence. And because of your sin, you can't just rock up into my presence because I'm a holy God. There's this barrier, there's this sin barrier between us and and we need to do something about it. But I want you to know that I'm a God who wants to hear you. I want to hear your prayers. I want to hear your needs. I want you to talk to me. But at the moment there's this barrier. So we'll try for a couple of generations this, this thing called priests where we will anoint some men, Aaron, Moses is called a priest, some priests that will... Bring your prayers to me. Isn't that great? Isn't that a wonderful model, a wonderful template to have that we can talk to God? Under the Old Testament model, we do it through a priest here. And actually, uh, we read books of Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, where, where the laws of how the priests will behave and act is set in place. And the question again we have to ask is how does that work? How did that work when guys did it in their human strength? Again, godly men following God, but limited by the fact that they were still fouled and flawed humanity. How did that work? Well, again, truth is not too well. The high priest, the high priest was the one guy that was able to go into the very presence of God, the Holy of Holies, 
And you could do that once a year. Isn't that incredible? To be able to go into the, the very presence of God. And the other priests, they used to tie a rope round him in case he was struck dead in the presence of God by the power of God. And then if they tied a rope round him, they'd at least get the body back. Can you imagine this morning, if you came here this morning and your, your spouse or your best friend or someone else couldn't quite come, they were babysitting or had something else, they said, oh, I'm off to church. He said, oh, let me just tie a rope round you just so I can get the body back just in case you're struck dead by the power of God in the meeting. Wow. So this priesthood, yeah, it spoke of men and women being able to speak to God. But it didn't quite work. And actually, as we move on into the story, as we move on into the book of Samuel, for instance, we read there of the boy Samuel in the temple. Eli was the priest at the time. And Eli had two sons who were going to be priests after him. But kind of they were rogues, they were scoundrels, they were skimming off of the collection. And so again, this idea that a priesthood would come down from generation to generation as men who would enable people to come into the presence of God, that didn't kind of work. And when Samuel himself became a priest, a great priest under King David, he had two sons and they too were rogues. This idea of a godly priest didn't quite make it down through the generations. And in fact, that the sons of Samuel were so corrupt that the people said, we've actually had enough of this whole priesthood thing altogether. We want to try something else. And God said, yeah, I, I knew that as well. Just it's taken you a couple of generations to catch up with me on that one. But yeah, in your own strength, you're not going to do it. So God says, let's try something else. Let's try another way that you might be able to, to come to me on your own. Uh, we've had patriarchs. We've had... Uh, priests, you can see where we're going with this. We've got to find another P. Well, the next one is kings. Kings doesn't start with P, so we'll have princes. Because princes become kings. We're talking of royalty. We're talking of modelling something that says, well, if you won't follow my laws because a priest says so, try following my laws because the king says so. Because they come with the weight of law. You know, a kingdom is where the rule of the king is acknowledged, or queen. Ladies, you're going to have to work with me on this one because there's many kind of male pronouns in, in Scripture. We talk of being sons, we talk of kings. Lady, come with me because I have a real problem with this, with Scripture. Do you know why? Do you know one of the most powerful pictures of the church in Scripture is the bride of Christ? I'm a bride of Christ. I'm the bride. I, I'm arrayed in all my finery this morning. It's not quite working, is it? So, so ladies, I know you're called sons. I know, uh, I know you're, we can't talk about kings. Uh, guys, we, we, we struggle with being the bride of Christ. So, so let's not get too worried about pronouns here. We're talking about kings. We could be talking about queens. We're talking about royalty that declares the rule and the principles of God. And without meaning any disrespect at all to our monarchy who do an incredible job. The queen does do an incredible job. The biblical role of a king or queen is quite simply to model God. It's not to open a new hospital wing. It's not to go on a tour of far-flung nations. It's not to invite Donald Trump to Buckingham Palace. It's not to do many other things. 
which may be good for the country, but ultimately the role of a king or a queen is to say, when you look at me, you see God. My rule, his rule, will be reflected in my rule. Anything that he says, I will say do with the force of earthly law. And God says, let's try that. Let's try that one for a while. Let's see if, if you have kings who say, this is the law. Will that help bring you to me? So how did the kings work out? Well, Saul didn't work out at all well. The first king, uh, he allowed pride to come before other things. Solomon, his grandson, started well, but he allowed pride to overrule his walk with God. We have David in the middle, who was a great king. David is commended by God as being a man after his own heart, a man who would display and declare God's truths. But see, even David fell short. Even David sinned, such that God says, the kingdom will fall, not, not in your generation, because I recognize your righteousness, but after your son, the kingdom will be divided as indeed it was into Israel and Judah, all of which had many kings. And it's quite shocking when you read Scripture and see how the kings are defined, because rules that lasted decades are written off with the simple statement, this king didn't follow the ways of God. See, there's no real record of the battles they fought, whether they won them or lost them, that's not important. There's no record of the social reforms they may or may not have introduced. There's no record of the wealth that they may or may not have amassed. The judgment on the king was simply, did he follow the way of God? And king after king after king is dismissed with the simple statement, no, he didn't. You, Jeroboam, 1 Kings 14 verse 8, have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart. And as you, and, and you went with Stephen in Acts 7, he's kind of worked his way up to David and the kings now. You, you can read that as you read through one king's king after king after king is dismissed in that way. And God says, yeah, it took us a few generations for you to get there as well with me. This king thing isn't working out too well afterwards. Should we try something else? Is there another model? Is there another template? Is there another way in which you can relate to me? Fortunately, this one's easy as far as the P's go. We've got prophets. That one starts with P. That one works okay. God says, try this. I'm your father. We haven't lost that. We're coming back to that one. I'm the creator of the universe who actually wants to hear your prayers. Hold on to that. We haven't lost that. I'm a king who wants to rule and reign and declare truth to you. Hold on to that. We haven't lost that. But let's try one more. Let's try a relationship around the idea of a prophet where I will speak to you. Where I, the creator of the universe, will speak to you. How powerful is that? Surely, surely something as powerful as that is going to bring men and women into a relationship with God. And uh, what, uh, so how did the prophets work out is the question that we need to ask. Stephen is, uh, is starting to wrap up, by the way, now in Acts 7. I'm not. I've got another good old 15 minutes yet and a couple more points. But Stephen is starting to wrap up. 
when he's up into uh, roundabout verse uh, 50. Uh, he spent verses on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He spent verses on Moses and Aaron. He's kind of running out of time now, I think, a bit, because when he gets to the prophets, he just sums them up in this one simple phrase, talking to his accusers. Oh, and by the way, you killed all these guys. And he's not exactly doing himself any great favours, seeing as he's up before some authorities. Um, but he says in, uh, in verse uh, 52, which are the prophets... Which of the prophets? There's loads of books there in the Old Testament. Stephen's covering a whole swathe of Old Testament. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Talking of Jesus. You would think that if God would put his word in a man or a woman's heart, then the people would listen. But they didn't. Take Jeremiah, who warns of the coming end of the kingdom, the coming defeat. Is the king at the time going to listen to Jeremiah? No, he doesn't like the word, so Jeremiah's chucked down a well. It's a cistern. I think it's a well with a lid on the top. So the prophet ends up down the well, and every now and then the king opens up the lid and says, is Jeremiah saying something any different? And Jeremiah's still prophesying the end of the kingdom. He's, oh, no, shut the lid. Shut the lid. We'll lift it up again in a few weeks and see if the message has changed. No, we don't like the message. Shut the lid. And so poor old Jeremiah prophesies from down the well that the kingdom is going to end. And we could do that with any of the prophets through the Old Testament. God's word was ignored. And so after decades and centuries a millennia of history of God saying, let's try this, let's try that. Will you be able to come to me with this model, with this template? The answer of history seems to be a resounding no. And God says again, it's no surprise to me. It wasn't my experiment. It wasn't an experiment from, for my curiosity. It's for you. I wanted you to know this. I wanted you to see this. In the fullness of history, I wanted you to have this record of you guys trying to do it in your own strength where the only answer is, no, it's not possible. Because there's a gap, there's a hole, there's something missing from all of these templates. And that's Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect man who came and died on a cross for our sins, and in doing so, became all of these things for us. In doing so, made all of these things possible. It says in 1 John, we can have the next slide there, he's a father, but to all who believed in his name, in the name of Jesus, he, God, gave the right to become children of God. See, he's not a father teaching his son anymore. That, that's still commendable. That's still right. But hey, as we trust in Jesus, as the, our saviour, as the one who plugs this gap, what do we get? We get a heavenly father, Abba Father. We get one who we can come to and sit on his knee and he will teach us. He will reveal truth to us. Jesus will plug that gap. And what about Priests. Are we still stuck with a, a high priest who needs to make sure he's got plenty of rope for his yearly trip into the Holy of Holies? No. 
We have a high priest, Jesus, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. I don't know uh, how, how often you pray. I hope you pray a lot. I hope uh, you've got a list of prayers. Just imagine for a moment under the Old Testament, prayer, having your prayers delivered was a little bit like posting the letter. And the postman has to have them. And, and once a year, he's allowed to drop them off at the post office. Once a year, he's allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. He'd have a pretty big sack, wouldn't he? We'd be kind of desperate for answers for that letter that we posted a year ago. Oh, I've got a prayer record. Oh, sorry, you was in the Holy of Holies yesterday. You've got to wait another year. It's not a comforting model. No, we have one now, a high priest, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty, interceding for us. Jesus leans across, whispers to his father, hey, look at my children. God knows what we're doing. But do you see that interaction, that closeness, that high priestliness that we now have? What about princes? What about kings? At the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. We don't see that yet. We don't see that yet. Obviously, we don't see that yet in this country, in this world. But that day's coming. That day's coming when the king will be seated on the throne for everyone to see. And at that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's the model, there's the template, there's the squaring of the circle, if you like, as to how we have a model and a template of a kingly rule. Jesus says, I don't do anything that the Father, that isn't in the Father's will. And then prophets... Whoever has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. I guess uh, I'm probably exaggerating or you know, my mind's going off in all sorts of directions. I don't know what Jeremiah looked like. Bit of a shaggy guy with a bit of a beard. Probably not exactly the, the cleanest to close. When he brings the word of God, we might think, well, I'm not sure I want to hear that. Uh, and the best prophets in the world, they would have heard from God and it would have come filtered through still their human imperfection. No, now we have a prophet who is God himself. God himself come to earth. There's no Chinese whispers here. There's no dilution of the message. There's no ambiguity. There's no need for translation. We have a prophet who speaks to our hearts. Again, I said Jeremiah, one of the probably most depressing books, one of the saddest books in the Old Testament. But even in Jeremiah, there is a spark of light. There is a spark of light as Jeremiah looks forward to the future. It's in Jeremiah 31, says, uh, where God says, I will write my law on their hearts. No longer will a, will a man teach his son, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Is that a powerful word? God will write his word on our hearts. And in so doing, God says that will complete this model, this template. Stephen is wrapping up. I am wrapping up now. We're into uh, verse 50 of Acts 7. Stephen's pausing for breath, as I am, because he's thinking, who else of the Old Testament have I missed out? Who else can I use to demonstrate that God is saying to people, this is my story? And you see, the question for us 
is, is this just a history story? Is this just a narrative? Or does it mean something more? Because God has taken thousands of years to try to teach us one simple thing. That we can't do this on our own. That we can't do this in our own strength. And I wonder this morning if there are folks here and maybe you think, do you know what? To get close to God, to have a relationship with God, I just need to pray a bit more. I just need to know a bit more. Maybe if I read my Bible more regularly, maybe if I get up at four o'clock in the morning and insist that I read my Bible, I'll get closer to God. Maybe I need to be a little bit older, a little bit more worldly wise. Maybe I need to uh, stop doing this. Maybe I need to start doing this and then I'll get closer to God. And many of those things are right and good and proper. But if we think doing them in our own strength is what gets us to God, then we've missed the story of the Old Testament. God says, you come to me through Jesus. He's the one that you need. He's the one that you need to acknowledge. He's the one that you need to ask into your life. He's the one that you need to ask to help you be all these things and do all the things that you know that you need to do and be, but cannot do in your own strength. And if we could grab hold of the guys mentioned here and stick them on the platform, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joshua and Saul and David and Solomon and prophets that I can't name and kings that I can't name, they would all say the same thing. They would say, you can't do this in your own strength. You need me. Let's stand. I wonder if uh, we could have the worship band back. Just as we have a few moments, could you just, again, just lift your hands. Just, just ask God just to speak into your life. That, that's an incredibly easy sentence to say and such a profound thing to say. That God can speak into your life right here, right now. He can touch your heart. He can reveal truth to you. As folks here this morning, I think God is saying, just stop that. Just start that. But don't do it in your own strength. Trust me. Come to me. Ask me to help you. Ask me to be alongside you and with you. If this morning you don't know Jesus, if journeying into the Old Testament has been a journey of names that you've never heard, of events that you've never heard, then, then forgive me, but God wants to say to you, you can be part of this journey too. If you don't know Jesus, you can come on this journey too. I'm just going to pray a short prayer. If you know this morning that, that you don't know Jesus and that you need him in your life, if you know you want to become a Christian, ask Jesus to help you because you can't do it yourself. And I'm just going to say a few short prayer, just to say these words after me. Father, I thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending your son to die for me.
sorry for the things that I've done that are wrong. I'm sorry for the things I've done that offend you. I know I can't make that right on my own. But I ask you now to come into my life. To help me. To lead me. To be a father. To be my priest. To be my king. To speak to me. That I can walk with you. Amen. Amen. If you're someone that you're a Christian but God's just been speaking to you today saying, hey, I just want to change the direction of your life a little bit and you want prayer for that, then there's opportunity just to come down the front. Folks will pray for you, stand with you in that. Let's just worship God now for a few minutes. Thank you, Father.